Welcome to Mahogany Moms Podcast. My name is Dr. Rochelle Whitaker, but you can call me Dr. Shell. I'm here to provide support and education on all things motherhood. Join me every other Wednesday for encouragement, inspiration, and information as we delve into health, mental and physical, education, money, and everything else that comes with this motherhood journey. Dr. Shell, educational psychologist, mental health therapist, and parenting coach. I am excited for our guest today. She is a good friend of mine and a colleague. Um, today on the Mahogany Moms podcast, we have Dr. Shana. She is a licensed professional counselor, an author, a motivational speaker, a champion of women. So welcome, Dr. Shana, to the Mahogany Moms podcast. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Glad to be here. Tell us, I gave some what some information about you, but tell us more about who you are. That's a loaded question. <laughs> it depends <laughs> on which day of the week we take. <laughs> well, just give um, us a general, because the thing I did not say and why I have you on the podcast, because you're all of those things, but you're also a mom. So, but I'm going to let you tell us all the other things that you do that I did not cover. <laughs> so... I am a licensed professional counselor, as you said, but, but now the biggest portion of what I'm working to do is help masses of women, right? In therapy, it's a one-on-one -on -one situation, but I really want to be able to help masses. So I'm also what's called a destiny interventionist. And so what that means is my objective is to interrupt women's destiny. So many women are headed in the wrong direction, doing the things they've always done because it's what they've always done or what someone else told them to do. And I, and I take it upon myself to help us be clear about where we headed. And if we're going the wrong way or we're stuck in a certain place, in comes your destiny interventionist to help you unplug yourself to move you in the right direction. So I love us and everything I do is wrapped around helping us to be the best versions of ourselves. Cause I always say if mama ain't right, ain't nobody right. So that's, okay, what well, that's a, that's a good segue into you telling us about your journey into motherhood. So we're going to go back because your baby is 12. The baby's a, well, she's a be, she'll be 12 in March in a couple of months and the oldest is just May 14. Oh wow. That means yeah, you're wow. old. <laughs> oh, doesn't it? <laughs> so if I'm old, that means we old together. <laughs> well, I got I have young children, so I can't you sure, you, sure do. you do, you do. But yeah, I mean, I've always wanted to be a mother. I, I remember being young, dreaming of having four children. I said I Ooh. wanted two boys and two girls. And my reasoning for that was so logistical because my mother, um, there were six of them, three boys and three girls. Nice, symmetrical. Mm -hmm. And what I loved about it is I had aunts and uncles who were blood related to me because she had so many brothers and sisters. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to offer my children, this was my young immature mind, <laughs> I wanted to offer my children the same kind of family structure where they had uncles and aunts that they were blood related to. Didn't quite work out that way. I got two out of the deal. Right, because I'm like, what happened to the other two? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> we, we, we made it to two and we stopped. But that was growing up. I always knew I wanted to be a mother. But the journey was not a simple one because I got married very young. I'm thinking, well, I think I was 21 when I got married. So I was very young. Mm -hmm. And one would think extremely fertile, you know, at, at 21. <laughs> well, no, not at all, actually. So there was a lot of uh, fertility issues that I learned at a very young age um, that I was dealing with that, of course, before that time, I had no clue. But I really didn't even start trying to have children until I was about 27. 
So we were married for several years before we even started trying. So I actually didn't know that I was going to have an issue really until I probably like six or seven years later. But you had, did you have some, cause you said you knew or you found out you had some possible fertility issues. So you knew you had some things going on. Right. So it was that irregular period. Now that was the entire time when I was a youngster, right? Period started today. I didn't have another one for two years. Then you get another one and, and they were never regular. So I, as a youngster, just felt like I had to deal with it. I'd never recall a doctor telling me as a teenager, this is what this might be, right? So it was just what it was. And I mean, I don't think I really complained a whole lot because who wanted a period every month? Right, yeah. <laughs> so, but I was fine. So it probably, when it really became a problem was when I got to college and my period would not stop and I bled for 30 days. Ooh. Yeah, that, then I got a problem. Now we right. need to go talk to the now doctor. Now you have a problem. Before, when, you, when your cycle is irregular and it's not coming, it's good. You're good. Exactly. So when we wouldn't stop bleeding, I'm like, okay, this is a problem. So that's when I realized something is wrong with this cycle. And what their solution was to put me on birth control pill. So. Okay. Did that solve it? Fixed it fixed it. It, it, it. it absolutely. Well, the first fix was take Motrin every eight hours. To slow the flow of blood. Yes. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and that actually did work. I don't know what it is about Motrin that slows the flow. I don't either, but I've heard the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So I did that and then it was happening all over again the next month when I stopped taking the Motrin. I'm like, this is, I can't. Mm-hmm. And that's when they put me on the pill. So I got on the pill. I went to, I went to college. I was 17 and this was my first year of college. So probably about 18, I was on the pill. Okay. So let's fast forward to you and your husband decide, okay, we're ready to start a family. And what happens then? So I was on a pill from 18. So we take 18 to at this point, I'm 27. So we're talking about almost 11 years of being on a pill. Mm -hmm. Go to the doctor. He's like, okay, get off the pill. They always say, let's just see what happens first. Right. Right. So see what happens. Not a thing. (laughs) There is nothing (laughs) that happens. And so my doctor, of course, after he said, give it so much time, let's see, nothing happens. My period did not go back to being regular either after I got off the pill. So getting off the pill went back to irregular periods. So we knew it was, you know, with a shot in the dark to get pregnant and your period show up whenever she feel like it. So Mm -hmm. he ran tests and he, he diagnosed me with PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome. Okay. And I'm like, say what? Like, what is that? Well, he explained to me, you know, there's cysts in your ovaries. These are things that really the core problem is your testosterone levels are too high and we need to mitigate those. Okay. So now what's funny is when he told me that I remembered as a youngster having a lot of stomach problems, like a lot of stomach pain. Hmm. But when they would do ultrasounds, you know, they would say that maybe they did say they found something, but there was nothing they did about any of it. Like none of it was tied to a fertility thing, right? It was just part of your growing up, you'll outgrow it, whatever that was. And I remember it it was constant stomach pain, like all of the time, even when I wasn't having periods, right? It just, I've stayed in a doctor behind stomach pain. So when I'm in my head now, I'm like, I'm wondering where these things tied that mm-hmm. that pain and whatever they were finding then is tied to this, but nobody said anything in all these years. So anyway, his dog, so he died with PCOS and what 
the treatment for it was, was metformin. Okay. And if anyone listening knows what metformin is, <laughs> it is a drug that is used for folks with diabetes. Mm-hmm. It's a very strong pill. It's a horse pill, first of all. And then it gives you really, really terrible GI problems, mm-hmm. <laughs> like really terrible. But it was the premier, if you will, solution to addressing PCOS. So I did that probably, I'm trying to think, maybe I did that for six, seven months or so, still didn't get pregnant. Mm-hmm. So the metformin was supposed to help your fertility? So the metformin was to treat the PCOS. But how was that going to help you get pregnant? Because if the PCOS was addressed, my testosterone levels would go down and then my body would naturally regulate itself. This is what the intention was. So he was trying to take, I guess, the least invasive route. Yeah, I I, I guess so. And, 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 but the side effect, it was terrible. Oh, that was such, that was so awful. I stayed in the bathroom. I'm not TMI. I'm going to tell y'all it was awful. (laughs) And it was months of of that Mm -hmm. and no pregnancy. So he told me the next thing would be a fertility drug, which I can't even think of the name of. If I heard it, I would know it. Clomid. There you go. And he would give me that. So metformin wasn't working. I started taking the Clomid. Now, here's the thing. I took that, but I still couldn't stop the metformin. I had to continue to take that because we're still Uh trying to address the testosterone problem. So did did the metformin help to regulate your cycle? At that time, don't feel like, I don't recall that it did. (laughs) Okay. So I start the Clomid and I want to say maybe I did the Clomid it wasn't very long, maybe a month or two. It, it, it didn't take me long because I got pregnant Okay, and that worked. So super excited. Okay. We got ourselves a baby. I still got to keep taking this metformin though. In mm. order to maintain the pregnancy, I had to keep taking metformin. And I'm like this, I mean, and remember I told you it was awful. Mm-hmm. Didn't get any better. Like taking it longer did not change the side effects and you pregnant too. It was, mm-hmm. so we would do we did that we were super excited we go in for I guess it was the 12 week checkup and doctor's doing the ultrasound and he says okay do you see this circle and this circle inside I'm like yeah 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 okay then do you see this other circle mm. so it's two circle it's two sex <laughs> mom's like say what <laughs> so the doctor's like yeah, you're pregnant with twins. I said, oh my, I mean, like we're, well, we, we're, well, I say we're young, but he's 30. I'm about 28, about to be 29, I guess in, in a couple of months. And it was like, what? Now we didn't know. Cause they tell you when you take fertility drugs, mm-hmm. it is very, you know, you are at a greater possibility of having multiple. Didn't think it would happen to me. But what he told us at that meeting, he says, but notice the shape of the sack. Hmm. It wasn't round. It was some odd kind of shape. And he said, we need to watch it to see if it develops or it may just dissipate. So if the sack may just dissipate. So was, so there was a baby inside the sack, but the sack, but the baby inside the sack may just dissipate. Yep. 
What were you thinking? What were you thinking? <laughs> My mind was blown. First of all, you tell me we might have a set of twins going on. <laughs> and then you tell me I might not have a set of twins at the same time. Mm-hmm. It was a lot to take in. And he said, when you come, he just told us, just do what you've always been doing. You know, otherwise everything, the other sack was perfect, right? There was no okay. problem with that one. So he said, this is the only one that we're watching just to see. So he says, when you come back, because I think I had to go back sooner, right? Than what would have normally been the mm-hmm. next visit because he wanted to just check. And so when we go back, and I'm not even sure how, maybe it was a month later. I don't even remember how long that sack was gone. It, it just didn't show up? Did you have any kind of spotting, anything? Nothing. I had no cramps, no pain, no anything. That sack, and t- I mean, if I hadn't seen it from my own eyes a month before, or however long it was before, you wouldn't have known it was there. It was completely gone, and the other one was just like it was before, perfectly round shaped and like and with a heartbeat. Wow! So had you grown, had you had the idea of having two, kind of grown on you all, like where you were starting to anticipate? Okay, we're gonna have two babies. Yeah. We did. And we were kind of, I mean, because first your mind is blown like it's a possibility because you hear that it could be you're like, yeah, well, okay. And then like, oh, it really is. Like there's two of them there. So you do, you, we went home and was like trying to figure out what would that be like? Like how, well, who's going to do what? Playing out all the scenarios. And then you go back a month, however many weeks later. And it's like, no, actually there's just one now. So that was, you know, and, and looking back at it now, it was, you know, it was, I, I feel very blessed because mm-hmm. of that circumstance of how it happened, because I know losing a child in, can occur in a lot of different ways, right? right? And that was the least intrusive, no pain, no trauma, no anything. But in essence, that's what happened. There was a child that was lost that did not make it because that child even had a, there was a heartbeat at the time at, when, when we saw both sex, they both had heartbeats. So it was, it was just wild. And I guess it, it took a little while to let that sink in. But yeah, that was, that was something. Sure. It is your, it's when I think about what you're telling me and I think about the way our bodies work, it's mm-hmm. amazing. That is amazing. <laughs> it is amazing. Right. Not amazing in, a, in a good way, but it's just amazing that something like that could even happen it's called a vanishing twin right mm-hmm. that just so you know being spiritual we just took it as a god thing and and that was how we were able to you know be grateful for how it happened and say well i guess we were only supposed to have one and he was gonna be plenty all by himself <laughs> and he was <laughs> when he got here so yeah so that 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 happened. That was just wild. But I, I really believe because twins, there's only one set of twins in my family. My husband doesn't have any. So it wasn't, if not for Clement, there wouldn't have been a set of twins, I don't believe, because genetically it, it doesn't run in any of our family. It okay. was definitely because of the fertility drugs that I even found, we even found ourselves. Now, I want to go back to something that you mentioned, because you said there were six or seven months, like you all started trying, you were having ish, you were having difficulty getting pregnant. What was that like? Was there any sadness were you thinking am I going to be able to have kids what was that time period like yeah I mean you know there was this times when okay maybe I am pregnant let's go take a test negative Mm -hmm. 
that happened multiple times, right? Because my period was all still crazy, but you feel stuff and you're like, oh, I wonder, you know. So there was a lot of, for me anyway, my husband, I don't, his experience, nothing compared to mine. Because for me in my head, I'm like, if I can't have children, I equated that to being a woman. Mm-hmm. Like that's what I'm supposed to be doing. And to not the thought, because the thought occurred to me, what if I can't ever have kids? What if this doesn't work? I mean, they can do all this medicine stuff, but what if it doesn't work? That the thought of never being able to have kids was really a devastating thought. Because I always, I'm telling you, I told you, even from a little child, I was going to have four. Mm-hmm. I always saw myself as a mother and the thought of not being able to have one was, was, was devastating. And you know, in the false, I thought it was, no, it's not all of that. It's such an emotional time. It just is. It's so emotional. And you're still trying to do all the other stuff, work and, you know, do whatever else you're doing in the midst of all of this. So yeah, it was all of that. I think outside of actually being pregnant, that's probably the, I would say the second most emotional time in my life of, of child, you know, trying to have kids was that time of, questioning will this actually ever happen so do you feel like because you had that that time period where you had difficulty getting pregnant when you experienced a vanishing twin it was like it wasn't as traumatic because it had you were like I didn't know that I was going to even get to this point so I'm just grateful to even have one exactly that's a good point that I could definitely say I could say that that definitely was a part that makes yep because I didn't know that it was could happen at all absolutely okay so let's talk about so that was your experience so your your baby gets here Mm. so (laughs) and you said he was he was enough all by himself so (laughs) with that had to come some highs and lows right Mm -hmm. some highs and lows of of being a mom and you know haven't had the experience that you had so let's talk about the highs what were some of the highs that you experienced the highs of (laughs) you want the part about having a newborn or just (laughs) that part (laughs) Oh God. Well, one thing that I would definitely say is just being in awe of, of God. I mean, for me, that was a major high because for all of the reasons that I just talked about it, would I ever have one to having twins maybe, and then to not, and to having one and he shows up. And even if I go back to when he was actually born, while I was out of it, because of course I was under the influence of whatever drug they had me on in my back. But my husband can tell the story better than I can. But when he was born, he wasn't breathing. Mm. He did not cry. He didn't say nothing. So of course I'm out. My husband tells the story that he, the nurses, obviously they, you know, zoom him out the room and he comes back. Now he's crying. So those moments that I don't even have a recollection of, that I find out later make me even more in awe of who God is because there are babies who are born who don't breathe and it becomes these other problems. And so by the time- Cause you, now you didn't have a C-section. Nope. But the the epidural was so strong that you don't have any- I don't remember that at all. I don't, I don't remember that at all. He says they got him and he was, I'm like, okay. I remember him showing, I remember him crying, but that is not what happened at first. And then maybe it, I'm, I'm sure it was a really quick thing, but I have no memory of him being whisked out the room, zero. 
Hmm, that is so interesting because you know usually moms are like, "Why is the baby not crying? I don't hear the baby. Is everything okay? Do you mm -hmm. have and, and you not out of it? No, I'm not. Yeah, I'm out. not under. I'm not under anesthesia in that sense. Right. No, no, but I don't remember that at all. And and he was my first kid, so maybe I didn't know what I didn't know either. Possibly okay. that of what was supposed to happen. Yeah, I went to the classes and all that stuff, but after all of the, and his, his delivery was very simple. I, I did not have a long delivery. It really, I mean, I was there a day, but he, the, the pushing part, maybe that was about 30, 40 minutes. I mean, it didn't take long. So I don't know, maybe I just didn't know what was happening and perhaps, but I don't remember. I, I don't remember feeling afraid for him. Because if I had known what was happening, I'm mm -hmm. sure the anxiety would have been a part. I don't remember that. Wow. Okay. So <laughs> that's another one of those things you just like, wow. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you're in awe of all that's happened. Mm -hmm. And so, of course, that's a high, right? That's one of mm -hmm. like, I got, I have a baby, mm -hmm. a, a living, breathing baby. Mm -hmm. What are some of the other highs of motherhood? I, you know, something else that I, I, I definitely enjoyed, I nursed him and that was stressful initially because that whole process, Lord Jesus, didn't know nothing about that either, <laughs> clearly. And, but when we figured it out together, it, it, it really became a special bonding time for the two of us. And he was a baby that got nursed. So he was probably about 13 14 months old. <laughs> <laughs> and, I mean, I was real. Yeah. That first one, after, yeah, I was extra. Ask me about that second one, how long she got. But you no, know, that first one, listen, he could probably, he could walk. It's a problem. <laughs> so, but to, that was a great special moment for us though. We bonded over that, which, you know, it's so special. So I, I loved that time with him. We'll be right back with more of today's episode of the Mahogany Moms Podcast. Are you a mom feeling overwhelmed, stressed by your day-to-day -day task? We have just the thing. Burps, Fibs, and Breakdowns is a journal with filling prompts, checklists to make sure mom is taking care of herself, and tips sprinkled throughout from other moms. This is the perfect journal for moms of one or moms of many. To order our journal today, Go to MahoneyMomsPodcast.com or click on the link in the show notes. Now let's dive back into the show. Other moment, I mean, other highs, it did bring my husband and I into a team effort, right? Because Mm -hmm. I could not do all of this by myself. And he was a great father. <laughs> There's so many funny stories about him and these newborn babies. He didn't sleep. I would go to sleep every time I could. <laughs> he ended up with a sleep disorder behind having kids. I didn't. Oh, wow. Because <laughs> I went to bed <laughs> when I could. He didn't. So, but no, that was, that was a great time, right? And I, I think we worked well together as young parents. Because mm -hmm. well, he's a little bit older, but we were, well, actually I say young, I was 29, he was 31. So young as that is, but you're first time <laughs> parents. So you feel like you're 20, you're green. Mm -hmm. um, so those are some of the other highs that, I, that, that come to mind anyway of, of motherhood initially, first time around. Okay. What about some of the lows? And they could be lows you experience now, or they could be lows you experienced then. Oh, child. <laughs> <laughs> 
That baby, that boy cried. Oh my God. He had colic, like, and you know, if colic is a real thing, I don't even know, but he cried all, he was so hard to satisfy. Mm. And that was a struggle because that's part of what would, 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 will keep his daddy up, right? So, of course, I would nurse him to get him to be quiet, and that usually would work for a little while. But his crying like that, we burnt up an entire um, vacuum cleaner motor. Oh, wow. When he was a baby <laughs> trying to get soothe him. That was a struggle. It did also present a struggle for some of the grandmothers because we know mamas know more than we know because we never right. had a baby. We, and we these new age mamas and we do stuff different. So there was that emotional pull and tug. So that was tough. And like, you know, even now, I mean, as my kids have gotten older, some of the lows are as they've gotten older, not being able to be everywhere for them at the time when you want to be missing things that you want to be a part of, not being able to protect them from all the things you don't want them to experience. I mean, those things make me sad because of course, most mothers, we take we take it all, like leave right. kids out of it, let this be on me. But what I understand is they have to have their own experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, my job is to help them through them. I can't protect them from them all, but I can help nurture them through that. But the mommy guilt, I mean, that's that, those are real lows for me because of the career that I have. And really more now, I would probably say more now because I've been an entrepreneur. I tell you what, when my second daughter was born, that's when I left my day job, my, my, my regular, regular day job. So she's 11, about to be 12. And so before that, I said, and this was, I guess I would call it a low, which is why I quit my job, is because I didn't want to have to ask permission to be their mama. I didn't want to have to ask permission to take off, to do what I wanted to do. He was about two at the time when she, when she was born. And I'd already experienced things that I wanted to do. I mean, he was in day, you know, in, in daycare, but whatever they was doing, I wanted to be able to go. <laughs> and I got to go fill out a form and ask. I'm like, I'm just, I'm too grown and I'm somebody mama right now. So after having her, I did make that decision to go into business for myself. But what I didn't realize is that it would come with other sacrifices, right? That yeah. look different than those that create their own set of lows. So yeah, I mean, there's, that's a, that's probably the biggest, biggest piece of um, what I can think of that. And then going through to get my PhD, that was a low because of the mommy guilt that goes along with that too. So that mommy guilt, that those are the pits. Mm. Yes. But I, I love what you said was I didn't want to have to ask for permission to be their mom. That is, that is powerful. And I think that's what so many moms experience with that whole juggle between being a working mom. It's like, they want to be at the school play or whatever, Mm -hmm. and they got to go to work. And it's like, Oh, so that mommy guilt, it, it eats moms alive. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So what do you wish you knew about motherhood before you became a mom? Ooh, wee. That's, that's a good question. What do I wish I knew before I became a mom? Oh my God. <laughs> what I didn't know. I mean, there's so much that we don't know. And here's the thing though, because I have a boy and a girl, they're not the same. Mm-hmm. They show up different. And my, and my daughter is so much like me. I, and, and, 
And my mom will say that I'm, I was a lot like her. And when she sees my daughter, she's like, that's little Shayna all day. And I'm like, was I like that? She's like, oh, you have no idea. I'm like, really? <laughs> and so the thing, I mean, I, I, I guess I wish I knew it's the secret to, to the transitions because I, I distinctly, my son, not so much. But with my daughter, like he was an e after he got through the colicky crying, crying, crying stage, he became who he is now, a calm, cool, collected. You wouldn't know if he was in the room unless you call his name. Enter mm. her, she showed up much more calmly than he did. She wasn't a crybaby, none of that. But oh, when she got worked up. <laughs> <laughs> and the transitions from, you know, these different ages, right? And how my parenting has to change as they transition. I don't know that there was ever a real conversation about that. So for her, this year she went to sixth grade. This is the year that that major transition happened. I remember when she was little, she showed up with, I'm the boss. She oh, came okay. here like that. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, you got too much estrogen too soon. You was not ready because <laughs> I'm your mom. Like we had to have that conversation often as toddlers. The boy never had never because he was cool and calm. And even with that, she would calm. And then it'll be another transition and another, you know, those twos. And then those five in every transition, there was another maybe piece of me that showed up in her perhaps is what I was noting, what I'm responding to. And I wish I knew that before I got there to know to expect that to happen so that I wouldn't be trying to lose my cool, trying to figure out how to manage and put it back in the box. Like we wasn't ready for the next step. We were still over here. Mm -hmm. Like you were elementary. You did all the things that I said. And now you have all these opinions, like, and they're mighty opinions, <laughs> mighty. So I wish, I wish I knew those things and especially about the differences in boys and girls because they are so fundamentally different. Just gender differences, that's a big one. I mean, I, I see that now, especially as they've gotten, well, I would say her more than him again. He's been cool the whole time. But when you have one that's just like you. Yes, it's, <laughs> ooh, it's a challenge. Yes, ma'am. So is that what you would tell another mom uh, or, or a woman getting ready to enter into motherhood? What would you tell her? Well, okay. So there's a, there's the thing, there's a few things that I would say. I would tell her to not lose herself mm. in being a mom. That's good. Because it's so easy. I mean, at certain, again, even with these transitions, there's more, there's certain times when they require so much more. Right. When they're brand new, like, who are you? You're nobody. Like, they're everything because right. they can't do anything. But as they've gotten older with their transitions, we need to be transitioning as well, too, to the place of them being more responsible, them having more independence so that you can continue to connect to yourself. Because there's periods, time periods where I can't even tell you what I liked, what I wanted to. Do. I mean, I didn't know because it was everything was all about them. And those were times perhaps when it needed to be a more about them, but not a hundred percent. I still needed to know who I was. So I would definitely tell her, you know, being a mother is, is a part of who you are. It's not who you are. Mm -hmm. It's just one of the roles that you have. Cause that's, that's just, we can lose ourselves so easily. I tell her to pace herself too. Say it again. I was going to say, we um, moms often do. They often lose themselves. And then yeah. when their you know, child gets to 18, they then it clicks like, 
oh, <laughs> this, is me. this is me, right. And I think too, what's important is modeling that in front of them mm-hmm. so that they pick that up. So, and I'll say this, since we're talking about the modeling piece, because what I understand is I've heard words out of my daughter's mouth of things that she's seen me say and do which made my made me just like sick to my stomach. Like she would tell me, I'm just so stressed out. Like you're nine. Mm. What, what are you stressed about? Mm. And I'm like, so they watch everything we do. <laughs> and and I, I say this often too. I say, you know, our kids are the reflections of the best and the worst parts of us. Mm-hmm. Because you will see all your glory and then you will see your ugly. <laughs> and, and again, in those transitions, you know, we have to figure out how do we handle that. But again, what we model. So especially for a, a daughter, like my son, again, he, he's a little bit different, right? He, he mimics more of his dad than he does me. But we were much closer when he was younger because I nursed him, right? So we had that bond that has changed, obviously, over time. Um, as he's gotten older, he's still connected to me, but I think he's aligned more with his dad now because he's older, which is, which is fine. But for her, I mean, everything I do and, and I really have to watch me mm-hmm. because I have to consider what is it, what kind of woman do I want her to be? Right. Because she's going to be the kind of woman she sees me be. What else does she know? Like I am her mirror. I'm the mirror that she's looking in to see who she's going to become. And when she said that at nine, I was like, oh, I got, we, I got to fix something like that. That doesn't work. So I want her to see me taking care of myself. I want to take care of myself before her. So she sees me doing that and understands like she'll do it now. She, she wants to have girl pamper night and she'll do it herself. She has a winter pamper routine. Yes, girl, have it. (laughs) I want her to do that. Um, so that one was my heart now, but I would definitely tell moms, if you have daughters, we really need to be watchful of what we present in front of them or model in front of them because we they're going to be the carbon copy of it. They just will. And I think that's really good what you said, because when I think about like our parents, when I think about that generation, they didn't really have an opportunity to model for us, right? Because they had just, I mean, civil rights wasn't long, had long mm-hmm. passed. So they were still in that we need to work. We we don't really have time to play with our kids. Like mm-hmm. we about business. Mm-hmm. And so that whole self-care, what is that? I don't, I don't have time for that. So then what do we do? The same, same thing. thing. <laughs> so but now, you know, we're telling other women, because when you know better, you do better. You mm-hmm. have to take care of yourself. What does self-care look like? I've heard so many women say, what is self-care? What does that even look like? Yep. So I think it's awesome that you are modeling that for your daughter. So she knows. And I think so many other moms who have daughters need to do the same thing. It's so big for me. Like I, it's an intentional thought. Cause I even watch my language around her. I don't, I don't say in front of her that I'm stressed out. I don't say in front of her. I, I have to be very intentional with my words cause she's going to repeat them at some point. Mm. So let's, let me ask you this. So you have a son and you have a daughter. Mm-hmm. Do you think that you mother differently as an African-American mom, having a son and a daughter or just having a son? You know, do you think that there's a difference in the way that you mother because of your ethnicity, because you're African-American? Absolutely. The, the conversations I have to have with him, mothers who aren't African-American aren't having them with their sons because they don't have to. 
especially after obviously what happened in, you know, this year with George Floyd, I, I made sure that we sat down and we talked about what does that mean? What does that look like? What does it mean for you? And those are painful conversations to have. Like, I don't want to have to tell my son that you have to, you know, make sure you don't have more than one other young African-American male in a car with you if you're driving after seven o'clock at night. I don't want to have to tell him that. I don't want to have to tell him, son, don't walk around with a hoodie on your head if you're walking around, you know, because somebody's going to think that you're trying. He's the sweetest kid in the world. And to him, he's confused too. Like, so it's just because I say something. And you have to explain that. And it pains me to have to explain that. And and so having conversations about racism, even with my daughter, because, I mean, we're, we're, we usually have these family conversations. They're both there. And even for her to be aware um, and my son, and, and, and you know, even the profiling that can happen, even when you're searching for a job, when you're doing certain things, mm -hmm. and and why do we name you what we named you? And I, and if you go to names, my son's name is African. It's a Johnny. On paper, he looks black. Mm -hmm. And when we had my daughter, my husband was gonna fight me too. And then I'm like, oh well, I get to sign the paper. So <laughs> <laughs> he wanted to name her Niara, which is another African name, and I said no. Mm. And I said, no, because I don't want people to look at her on a piece of paper and already know her last name is Lewis. So you already probably thinking she black, but you get Niara in front of it and you know, no, she black now. So I said, no, we're going to make it Nia. We're going to split it in the middle because she could be, you know, that that name can go any way. And so just from their names, <laughs> we, we have to do things differently and intentionally. And I mean, it pains me, but that's the world we live in. I don't want my kids to walk around in a bubble and not understand the world they live in. I also don't want them to become cynical and, and think that everybody's out to get them either. Right. I want them to understand that these are things that exist and we can choose how we handle it. And we teach them, you know, how do we address these things? But I definitely, they need, I mean, I believe children need to be aware. Our African-American children need to be aware of the world they live in, but we, we raise them to, you know, to be able to respond to these things whenever they might occur. Yeah. But I don't want kids walking around talking about all white people are bad and they don't like me. I don't want that, but I want you to be aware. Okay. So what is, what is something that we haven't discussed that you would want to share with another mom who is either, you know, maybe experiencing some of the same things that you did early on, or maybe has been diagnosed with PCOS, or maybe is, you know, finding herself in the later years and having difficulty with transition. Is there anything that you would want to share with either one of those moms? Well, the first thing I want to say, I'll go back to the beginning of my journey, which is I, I, I had the thought that if I didn't have children, I wouldn't be a real woman. Mm, yes. And I, I want women to know that whether you physically birth a child or not, there's so many ways to mother <laughs> yeah. children in this world, being a mentor, being, you know, volunteering places, taking, you know, there, there's so many other ways to, to mother without birthing a child. And that has nothing to do with your womanhood. Mm -hmm. Those things are not connected. And that was, I don't even know where I got that idea from, but I definitely had it. Um, but it's a it's an irrational thought that I understand now that they are not connected. So any woman who's in that space of dealing with infertility and, and wondering, will I ever have a kid? And if I don't, I really won't be a real woman. 
I just encourage her to understand that your womanhood is not tied up in being a mother at all. It's not. And you can still use that nurturing aspect of who you are because we naturally have that in us and you can bless a million other kids Mm -hmm. with that in a lot of ways. The other thing I would say is asking for help. Yes. Um, Because this journey of motherhood is not easy. We can't do it by ourselves. We, you know, we show up with these capes on, honey, and they real cute, (laughs) but you can't fly. (laughs) I don't care how cute, how bad your cape is. It may come from Chanel. It may be Fendi. It may be Gucci. You can't fly. (laughs) I'm just saying. And which means we need other um, women, we need other people in our world. And so, because I remember portions of my, especially when my babies were first born, where I'm like, I got it. I, you know, I ain't want nobody to touch them. For, well, the boy, the girl, I was, it wasn't the same. With him, I was real, I, tell, I told somebody, I was stupid behind him. Because okay? <laughs> you couldn't touch him, you couldn't breathe. Couldn't nobody help me do nothing. Daddy could help until I told him, I got it. <laughs> but we need help. And when we receive help, we actually are able to impact and mother better. Yes. When we actually receive help because we're not using all of our energy in this one thing. We can use it for the best thing, right? So I definitely encourage us. And as women in general, we struggle with that, Yes. but especially in motherhood. And I love talking to mothers who are ahead of where I am. Mm-hmm. I find great value in that. And saying, so talk to me. And this is this is what I figured out the transitions that I wasn't clear about what my next move was supposed to be. So I start asking mothers with older kids, okay, so what's gonna happen? Like, let me know so I'm ready. So seek out those resources on purpose. Um, and just don't do this by yourself, but stay connected to yourself in the process so that when they do grow up and fly the fly the coop you're not left standing looking in the mirror at a stranger who you don't even know. That is awesome. You have given us some some great nuggets. The one about, I didn't want to ask for permission to be, to mother my children. That was awesome. Don't lose yourself in becoming a mom. And the last one you said, you said something else, but the, the, the last thing that I remember is like asking for help. Cause that's huge. Cause oftentimes moms don't ask for help. They're like, I got it. Or they may even need help. They just don't ask for it. And so those are some nuggets you have shared with us. How can, if someone's listening, a mom is listening and she wants to get in contact with you, how does she find you? She can find me. Like they say, Google me. No, you can't can't Google me and you'll find me. Um, Or you can on Instagram at Dr. Shana D. Lewis on Facebook. I'm Dr. Shana D. Lewis. But literally, if you Google my name, you'll find me. But any of those places or Dr. Shana D. Lewis Thank you so much, Dr. Shana. It has been a great time talking with you about your experience and then just some of the things that you share with us. I'm sure the other moms will be blessed by what you've shared. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed it. Hey guys, I wanted to come back. I usually don't do this, but Dr. Shana mentioned something that a lot of women feel and or experience that I thought I couldn't just let it go by without further elaborating on it. And one of the things or the thing that she mentioned that stood out was that women who are dealing with infertility or maybe women who have who haven't even conceived yet. Tie their womanhood to their ability to reproduce or their ability to have a child. And so I just wanted to to talk about that for a few minutes, because so many women struggle with this if they are having difficulty conceiving 
or aren't able to have a child or maybe haven't even gotten to the point of conception, but just the thought of it or the ability, the thought that maybe they won't have a child. And so much of a woman's womanhood is believed to be connected to their ability to reproduce. And that is just not true. And so there are three things that I want to suggest that that we do, that women do, that moms do, or a mom in the process of, or a mom trying to, you know, their secondary infertility. There's all kinds of uh, different issues that arise in motherhood. And so this is for that woman, the woman who is maybe dealing with infertility, the woman maybe who's dealing with secondary infertility, maybe the woman who's not yet conceived, but this is a thought, or maybe the woman who's choosing not to conceive. Your womanhood is not determined by your ability to conceive or birth a child. I'm going to say that one more time. Your womanhood is not determined by your ability to conceive or birth a child. And so there are three things that if you are thinking that or if you are in art experiencing it, there are three things that I want you to do. One is I don't want you to suffer in silence. Talk to someone about what you're feeling. Maybe it's not a therapist. Therapist would be great, but maybe it's not a therapist. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a confidant. Just talk about it. Talk about what you're experiencing and get it out. (laughs) Don't let it fester or ruminate in your mind and in your spirit. Two, tear down that belief that you are only a woman if you're able to conceive. Don't hold on to it. You are a phenomenal woman, whether or not you ever birth a child or bring a child into this world. And lastly, I want you to know that you aren't the only one. Just as Dr. Shana mentioned, that was something that she experienced or those were some of the thoughts that she had. Those were also some of the thoughts that I had when I had difficulty uh, conceiving or wasn't sure if I was going to be able to. Please, though, I want you to know that just the mere fact that I'm saying that I did it and she, I mean, I, I had those thoughts and she had those thoughts. Please know that you're not the only one. So again, don't suffer in silence dismantle that belief that you are only a woman if you're able to give birth or conceive a child and that you're the only one experiencing this because that's just not true. You are a woman, a phenomenal woman, that's you. And so I want you to replace that thought or that belief with I am a phenomenal woman. All right, guys, till next time. That's it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening to the Mahogany Moms podcast with me. If you like the podcast, please show your support by sharing it and leaving a review. If you'd like to learn more about us, go to mahoganymomspodcast.com. Until next time.